Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Welcome once again, and uh, uh, we're in our series called Christmas Playlist, and we are looking at various Christmas songs that share the gospel message, and, uh, and so the theme today, if you haven't picked up on it by what the choir said, is go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. I don't know if you know the history behind that song or not, but in 1866, following the end of the Civil War, uh, there were some who, who understood that laws to abolish slavery were not enough, that, that following the Civil War, just simply enacting laws and saying that, that slavery is abolished was not enough. And some of them, mostly Christian men and women, started systems of, of education for those that had been stuck in slavery. In fact, part of that effort was the opening of a university in Nashville, Tennessee called Fisk University. It was the first American liberal arts university to young men and women irrespective of color. Five years later, though, the school found themselves in dire financial straits. They were, they were hurting financially. They were in danger of, of closing the school. And the president of the time, George L. White, uh, he was the treasurer of Fisk University and also the music professor, created a nine-member choral ensemble, and he took the students on tour to try to earn money to get the, the, the school, Fisk University, back up to health again, and he went all in on it. He took every resource the school had, and he put into this nine-member choir, and they set off, and they went on tour. And their first stop happened to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. In Cincinnati, Ohio, they, the, the, these young singers began to, 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 to go all in. October 6, 1871, they started their first concerts in small towns. And again, uh, they, they, they went then to early concerts. Cincinnati, Ohio brought in $50. And at that time, uh, it was also the time of the Great Chicago Fire. And so even though they had to raise money for the school, these singers decided they were going to take that 50 bucks that they earned, rather than send it back to the school, they decided they were going to help the victims of the Chicago fire. Amazing, right? Well, then they ended up uh, going to Columbus, Ohio, and they were exhausted from this tour. They were exhausted physically and emotionally, as you can imagine, that in that time, a choir of people of color was not always accepted. And so they experienced a little bit of persecution and they were tired along the way. And the choir director, Mr. White, in a gesture of hope and encouragement, named them the Jubilee Singers after Leviticus 25 and the year of Jubilee and setting people free. Not the original repertoire of the group, they then began to implement songs that were passed down by oral tradition spiritual songs that were sung while their ancestors and they were bound in slavery, songs of hope, songs that were founded in the scriptures. And by the time they reached New York, the December of that year, their concerts grew to include more and more spirituals until their program consisted primarily of choral arrangements from these songs of hope. 
They continued their perseverance and their beautiful voices began to change attitudes among a predominantly white audience. Eventually, skepticism was replaced by standing ovations and critical praise and reviews. And gradually, they earned the money to cover the, not only their own expenses, but also enough to send back to save Fisk University. In 1872, they sang at the World Peace Festival in Boston, and by the end of that year, President Ulysses S. Grant invited them to perform at the White House. And one of the songs of hope that they began to sing in their concerts, particularly around Christmas time, and was popularized during that, was the song the choir sang this morning, Go Tell It on the Mountain. A declaration of hope when you understand the hope that comes because Christ is born. And again, as we continue this series, the carol that inspired today's message is, 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 is Go Tell It on the Mountain. And it was a, a carol that, that was the product of, of many prayers and faith of an unknown slave, probably before the Civil War, unable to read the Bible, but gleaning from the birth of Jesus. And he seems to have imagined the emotions that the shepherds were facing on that ordinary night when they were watching the sheep. This passage, this, this song is based on two passages of Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. You know, shepherds watch their keeping. You know Luke chapter 2, we read it this morning. That's one of the passages. But another passage of Scripture comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 57, or 52 and verse 7. And it was when the, announce, the announcement that the Messiah would come and bring hope to the whole earth. This is what it says, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Come on, somebody. Why is this message worth sharing? Because this is a glorious birth announcement, isn't it? That leads to peace and hope, and joy. And, and what is it about this news that would have resonated so deeply with the people who were facing dark days of slavery? What inspired this sense of hope? What is it about this message that they declared was worth declaring from the mountains? Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus Christ is born. Well, we're going to explore that message of good news today. We're going to take a look at what the angels declared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And today, we're going to unpack that sense of hope. Today, we're going to get a little bit of an understanding and highlight the invitation and the hope and the response of those who receive it. So let's read again as we did this morning when we opened Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, that you will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace peace to those whom his favor rests, peace to those 
whom his favor rests. Now, how many have ever received a birth announcement before? Or maybe you sent one out? You know, birth announcements. They used to be a popular thing back before social media. You'd, you know, you'd, you'd get a little birth announcement together. If the baby was born, you'd take a little picture. You'd send it out to all your relatives and, you know, highlight, you know, how, 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 how much the baby weighed and how big the baby was and all that kind of stuff. Birth announcements. Today, I think more popular. Have you seen some of the videos of the gender reveals that people try to do? You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you have done that. You know, sometimes they have a, a balloon and, uh, and they, they pop the balloon and out comes, you know, the confetti of the particular color, pink or blue, you know, whatever the baby is, or they've got a cake and they cut into the cake and the inside of the cake is a particular color, whether it's the cream or the, you know, whatever it is, you know, it, it, those, are, those are things. People, people love to announce good news. They love to announce good news. They love to tell people about good news, and nothing is better news than the birth announcement that a a little one has been born. Parents and grandparents with their phones snapping pictures and putting them out on social media, blasting it out in text messages to their friends or, or messages announcing the birth. And so what we have in this passage is really a birth announcement. It's the birth announcement of the Savior, the birth announcement of of Jesus declaring the glory of God. Now, if you're going to have a birth announcement for the Savior, if you're going to have a birth announcement for Jesus, uh, I'm not quite sure that you would pick shepherds. Shepherds were unlikely people. They weren't the people that you would normally share a, a birth announcement with, but yet at the same time, that's who That's who this birth announcement came to. That's who the angels appeared to were shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night out in the hills of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. Three characteristics about this invitation. First of all, this invitation is for all people. The invitation is for all people. Luke 2.10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, all people. Notice the text doesn't say some people, those people, or these kind of people. It says all people, right? It doesn't say this. Now there were some in the same region, scribes and Pharisees, keeping watch over their scrolls and religious rituals. Nor does it say there were in the same region, kings and princes keeping watch over the palace, doesn't say that. In fact, it says that God chose these simple shepherds to be the first to know of the birth of the Savior. And it's even more strange by human standards because in Israel, shepherding, I'm not sure if you, if you know this or not, was a lowly task. Being a, being a shepherd was not something that was an envious position. In fact, shepherds had not been schooled in the law, thus they were considered to be ignorant Because they were out with the dirty and smelly sheep, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. They they weren't even able to come into the temple. Uh, According to one Jewish treaty, shepherds were not trustworthy even to be used as witnesses in court. their, Their testimony would not even stand up. They were considered to be a little bit shady. They were considered to be a little bit dirty. They smelled like they had been out with the sheep, if you know what I'm talking about. And when they came in, you knew it just by their presence, right? According to another, help was not offered to the shepherds because they were considered heathens. So it's not surprising to me 
It's not surprising to me at all that, that the angels would come to the shepherds because the angels' announcement is that the birth of Christ brings hope to all people. To all people, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how common you may feel, no matter how unworthy you may feel, no matter how, 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 how unclean you may feel, the birth of hope of Jesus Christ the Messiah is for all people. Those that are considered at the bottom of society, those that are considered rejected, those that are considered abused, those that are considered the hurting, those are the ones that have been rejected by everybody else. Jesus says, no, this invitation is for you, for all people. Why did God choose shepherds as the first one to receive the angel's revelation concerning Messiah's birth? I love the way Max Lucado puts it concerning the shepherds. He said, they represent nameless people. All the people who go under the radar are unrecognized. They embody you and me, the shepherds, these people without names or positions or status or privilege. Show us that Jesus is for all people just like us. He goes on to write this, we can be them. We can take their place in the story. Name one your name. Give one of them your face. Enter the place at midnight on the chilly fields in Bethlehem, making the exciting run to the stable, peering into the manger to see the baby cooing and laughing, snuggling up close to the others, feeling the warmth of the body snuggle close to each other. Kneel over and watch the baby Jesus. Play peekaboo. Giggle as he giggles. Can you imagine? Can you imagine putting yourself in that place? That you would have the opportunity to go and to see the baby Jesus? And yet, because the angels, Jesus, God chose the angels, the angels to, to bring that message to shepherds. Common people, you and I, no matter who we are, are invited as well to come and to witness the birth of our Savior. This invitation is for all. This invitation is for everyone. Go, tell it on the mountain. Tell everyone the good news of the birth and the hope that is found through Jesus Christ. That this is good news for everyone. And it was good news for those that were, that were bound in slavery, bound by injustice. It was good news, the birth of Christ. And friends, it is good news for you and I today. The invitation is not, if, if, if being the invitation for all people was just enough, that's not enough in the scripture. It, it, it's actually an invitation that is personal. It's a personal invitation. Today, in the town of David, a Savior, look at the language here, has been born, what? To you. To you. That's a personal invitation. This birth announcement, this, this message of the Messiah, this message of hope is personal. It is to you. A Savior has been born to you. It, 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 Christmas is personal. I don't know if you realize that, but Christmas is personal. It's not just general, it's personal. Jesus coming and the purpose of his coming is personal. He came to be a Savior to you, to you. It's relationship and redemption. It's a celebration of the, the very real love that we can have with our personal 
Savior. It's, it's a sacrifice, an intimate encounter. It is God who comes near. It's God who comes near. And, and, and against the darkness and irrelevance of anonymity, there is the intimacy of the Christmas songs that is true and clear. For instance, there is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Not God at a distance. God with us. Or let every heart prepare him room. Friends, I want you to know that more than just a holiday that we celebrate, Christmas is personal because it represents the personal relationship that our Savior wants to have with you, that he was willing to draw near. And the invitation is for all people, but the invitation is also personal. It is personal to you. David, a shepherd in his own right, penned one of the, the greatest psalms, I think, of all time. How many of you love the 23rd Psalm? Do you know how it starts out? We're just going to just do, just do the start. The Lord is? Who's shepherd? Who's shepherd? My shepherd. That's personal. That's personal. It's that he's my shepherd. That there are shepherds walking, watching over their flocks by night, and, and the birth announcement comes and says, this is, this is to you. Friends, I want you to know the Lord wants to be personal to you. This invitation is personal to you. <laughs> oh, one of Jesus' disciples, John, when writing and encouraging some people of faith, he opens up and he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, what we ourselves, that's personal, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have what? Fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. And what is the joy? The joy is in the word that's used twice there, which is fellowship. It's fellowship, it's relationship, it's intimacy, it's closeness, it's not a religion, it's not something that I, I show up at Christmas and I show up at Easter, it's personal, that each and every day I can have a personal relationship and fellowship with the Messiah who has come, with Jesus. It's a basis for our, for our personal relationship with God, not, God's not a remote force, but we can know him personally, he is graspable. And if Jesus is actually God come in the flesh, then you can know God personally. That's what Jesus' coming means for us. That God who seems so distant and so far, that through Jesus we can know him personally. When we see him weep, when we see him upset, or cast down, or when we see him exalted. In fact, the entire scriptures, as you read, are a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and a revelation of God himself because he is personal to you, more personal than any philosophy or any religion could ever be. Look what God's done to, to, to get us to know him personally. He came all the way from heaven so that he could draw near to you and I, taking on flesh and blood, so that he could be near to us. This invitation is personal. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. If you read through the Gospels, what does he give us? He gives us the Holy Spirit who lives in us and is with us. 
that God is forever with us. I draw near to you. And the angels appeared to the lowly shepherds, and he invited them to personally come and meet the newborn king. Friends, Christmas is personal. The invitation to come and to know Jesus as Savior is personal. Not only is it for all people, and not only is it personal, but it also comes with a purpose. It's an invitation for a purpose. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What is that purpose? It's in the description of who He is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. His name represents the very purpose for the gift that has been given, the very reason that Jesus was born. The angel uses the term, and we've talked about it in this series already, because you can't get away with it. A Savior has been born, a soter, that's in the Greek, one who rescues, a deliverer, a Savior, a preserver. And in the prophecies about Jesus' birth in Luke chapters 1 through 3, we observe this theme several times over and over again. Luke 1.69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Luke 1.71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Salvation, salvation from our enemies. Luke 177, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Luke 2, 30 to 32, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Salvation. Luke 3, 6 actually quotes an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 40, verse 5. And all mankind will see God's salvation. God's salvation. Christmas is about salvation. It's about God's salvation. It's about his salvation to save us and set us free from the hold that sin had in our lives. It's an invitation with a purpose. It's a gift. It's like Jesus' own declaration that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Luke 4, 18 through 19, as he quoted from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to send, he has sent me to proclaim freedom from, from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Talked about that in week one, to save us all from Satan's power, right, when we had gone astray. The Savior brings both salvation from enemies and from sin, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile as well, a Savior for all people. So if we've been given such a wonderful invitation, which is for all people, which is deeply personal and which has an incredible purpose in our lives, how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, let's continue to take a look, and I want to look at two responses we see from the shepherds. The first is simply this. It's very simple. Come and see. Come and see. Once the angels left declaring the good news from the shepherds, they had a choice to make, didn't they? Here's the choice. We've heard this good news, singing and praising God in the heavenly glory to God in the the highest, and then the angels go away, and They can sit and go, wow, that was wonderful. Can you believe that? Can you believe the Savior has been born? Wow, look what they talked, look what they told us. Let's go sit around the campfire and let's talk about this amazing, wonderful experience we've just had. 
they could sit and talk about it. They can talk about, wow, did you see that? Man, wasn't that amazing? Whoa, I was so scared. Were you scared? Yes, I was scared too. Wow, that was just wonderful. And they could just talk. And they, sheep, did you see that? Bah, I don't know if they saw that or not. It wasn't bad. It was good. It was good news for all people. <laughs> or they could respond to the invitation. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven and the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. The, the, angels, the angels gave an invitation. And I know it's an invitation because they said, you will find, right? You will find what? The baby wrapped in cloths and lying where? In a manger. You're not going to find him in a house. You're not going to find him in the Motel 6. You're, you're, you're going you're to find him in the manger. And this is, what he's, this is where it's going to be. You're going to find him. But in order to find him, what they had to do, let's go, right? Let's go. They had to go. They had to leave. They had to let go of watching the sheep. They had to let go of those duties. I don't know what they did to cover the sheep. I don't know if they had a few stay behind. I don't know how they handled that. It doesn't tell us that the details aren't important. All we know is they said to themselves, we can't stay here. We've got to go and see. We've got to go and see. What is this good news? We, we've got to go. We've got to, we've got to come and see. Come and see for yourself what, what is happening. And they, they hurried off to take a look for themselves. We see this pattern from, from those who found hope in Jesus. This is the pattern we often see in Scripture. There's an invitation for us to come and to experience the good news. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. John and Andrew, they were, they were two of, of John the Baptist's disciples early on. They had been following John the Baptist, and they were hanging around John the Baptist, and, and, and one day as they're hanging around John the Baptist, something happens. John's message of preparing the way for the Messiah suddenly became a little more real to them. John 1, 35 through 39, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by, and John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God, and look what it says. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus, and Jesus looked around and saw them following. He said, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want, he asked them, and they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And what do you say? Come and see. Come and see, he said. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Come and see. Come and see. Friends, can I encourage you today? This invitation that is for all people, this invitation is for you. There's a wonderful purpose attached to it. And here's what Jesus is saying to you today. Come and see. Come and see. You can hang around the outskirts. You can look on from a distance. But Jesus says, no, come near. Come hang out with me. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see what I'm all about. Come and see who I am. Come spend the day with me. And what happened when they spent the day with him? Oh, man, when they spent the day with him, they, 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 they were just, they were changed people. They were absolutely changed 
people. How do I know that? How do I know it changed the directory, uh, the trajectory of their lives? Because Andrew leaves that encounter with Jesus. He can't keep it to himself. He goes and finds his brother Simon, also Peter, and he, he says, you got to come and meet Jesus. You got to come and see Jesus. You got to come and meet him. And in, in John 1, 43, it says the next day, they decided to go to, to Galilee, and there he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So there they are, and he finds Peter, or Philip, and Jesus says to Philip, come and follow me. And so what, is, what does he do? Come and see. He goes, okay, I'll follow you. And, and Philip is so radically changed that he goes and finds another friend of his by the name of Nathaniel. And John 1, 45 to 47, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Jesus hasn't done a miracle yet. But they spent time with Jesus. And early on, Philip goes, man, we have met the guy. That's the guy they're talking about. That's the guy, the prophets. That's the guy we've been waiting for. Nathaniel, that's the guy. And, 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 and look, what, look what Nathaniel says. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything, can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and what, is, what does Philip tell him? Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. Friends, you, you can listen to, to other people's testimonies about their encounters, their personal relationship with Jesus, their, their personal encounter with the Savior all day long. But there is nothing that changes the trajectory of your life, that changes your heart, that impacts you more than when you come and see for yourself. Christmas is about come and see. Christmas is an invitation to come and see. Come and experience Jesus. Come and see. When Nathaniel encounters Jesus as well, you can read about it. I'm not going to do it today. It changes you. It changes you. There's a personal invitation that we see over and over and over again. That is the purpose. Come and see an invitation. Come and meet with me. I've come. I'm here. God came near. Come and see. God is in this place. Come and see. God wants to get to know you personally. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Well, come and see. Ah, the sheep. They'll be taken care of. Come and see. Come and see. Take a step towards the, the shepherd. We're invited to find Jesus. Robert Fulgram, author of All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, he writes about a group of neighborhood kids that were playing hide-and-seek one day. He noticed it outside of his window, outside of his home, and, and he, he, he was watching them and just kind of observing, and he said there was one kid that found a really, really good hiding place under a pile of leaves in his yard just under his window. And, uh, and he was there a long time. Everybody else had been found, and they were kind of they were kind of giving up on trying to find this kid. They couldn't find him. He had hidden really good, and they just couldn't find him. And so Fulgram is watching this from his window and, and everything. And so finally, he, he lifts up the window, and he yells out, scares the kid like half to death. He says, get found, kid. Ah, you know, and then the kid is found. And, and, uh, and he, he makes the following observation. He said, you know, better than hiding seek, I like the game of sardines. In sardines, the person who is it goes and hides, and everybody else then goes looking for him. 
And when you find him, you get in with him and hide there with him. And pretty soon, everybody's hiding together. And he said, all stacked up like a small, in a small space like puppies in a pile. That's kind of his illustration. And he said, pretty soon, somebody giggles and somebody laughs and then everybody gets found. He said, medieval theologians described God in hide-and-seek terms, calling him deus absconditus. But me, I think God is a sardine player. He'll get found the same way everybody gets found in sardines, by the sound of laughter and those who are heaped together at the end. I like that. Because God came near, and he invites us to come near. And as we come near, we invite others to come near. And together, in this relationship, this wonderful, intimate relationship with God, there is joy. And that joy is attractive and helps others receive the invitation to come and see. Come and see. Come and see. The first to find him outside of his family were the shepherds. They were the ones who hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. The Savior was not cowering somewhere in a spider hole trying not to be found, but was out in the open for the whole world to behold. Friends, God wants to be found. Come and see. The second response is go and tell or go and share. Go and tell. From that encounter at the manger, the shepherds were so impacted that they couldn't keep the message to themselves. This is what it says, Luke 2.20. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. They were the outcasts of society. They were the outcasts of society. And yet, they went on to be the first witnesses of the, of, of the, the, of the birth of Jesus. They were mostly likely the ones who cared for the sheep that were out in the pastures to come in for sacrifice later on. They were in the hills of of Bethlehem surrounding Jerusalem where the temple was, and yet caring for the very sacrifice, they were the very ones that weren't even allowed into the temple to be able to worship. But they were also the ones who again could come and tell the wonderful news about the Savior who had come. When Andrew met Jesus, he couldn't keep it to himself. But he went out and he invited his brother, Simon Peter, to come and to meet Jesus. When Philip encountered Jesus, he couldn't keep it to himself, but he went out and he went and told his friend Nathaniel, you've got to come and see what I've seen. Friends, when we we encounter Jesus, we cannot keep the good news to ourselves. We've got to go and tell. We've got to go and share. Like the shepherds, Andrew and Philip, uh, and Andrew and Philip, the words of the carol we read earlier, go tell it on the mountain. Go and tell the good news this Christmas. Go and share the good news. Share what Christmas is all about. Share about the hope and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the invitation that is for all people and that is personal, that they can personally know Jesus. They can personally encounter him. And they can personally be changed by him. Good news declared from the mountains. Paul declares this in Romans 10, 13 to 15. He declared this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how can anyone go and and tell them without being sent? 
And that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Friends, will you be one of the messengers that brings good news this Christmas? Will you take your encounter and your experience that you've had with Jesus as he's changed your life, and will you find someone to share it with? Find someone to invite to come and see, to come and see, to come experience this relationship with Jesus, to come and find this hope that has come. Worship team, will you come? And let me close with one final story. There were kids that were putting on a Christmas play to show the radiance of the newborn Savior, and they happened to hide a light bulb in the manger so that when all the lights went out, there would be this one light in the manger that would just shine forth right from the manger. But as the stage lights were turned off, there was a problem because uh, they turned off all of the lights, including the light in the manger. And, uh, and the boy who controlled the lights, he, he got a little bit confused, as sometimes happens. And there was a little bit of a, a tense moment that was taking place during that time. And, and it was only broken when one of the shepherds who was on stage in a loud whisper, he, he said this, hey, you switched off Jesus. <laughs> Can I encourage you, don't switch off Jesus this Christmas. Don't switch off Jesus this Christmas. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Come on, somebody. We have a world that needs hope. We have a world of people who are bound in darkness, bound by addiction, bound in sin, and they need to be set free. We've got a world that needs to know Jesus, and and it it is not as difficult as we make it. God didn't, show, didn't choose Pharisees, religious leaders, scribes, educated people to go and share the good news about his son. He chose shepherds, the least likely, the ones that were the outcasts, the uneducated, that were out in the fields. And he shared the news with them. And when they encountered that invitation, They said, let's go and see. And then they were so changed that it transitioned to let's go and tell. Let's go and share. Let's not keep it to ourselves, but let's share the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're not inspired to go and share, maybe you need to come and have another come and see moment. Maybe you need to have a renewing of a come and see moment with Jesus. Maybe this Christmas you need to encounter him once again. Maybe you need to encounter his hope. Maybe you need to encounter his healing. Maybe you need to encounter his forgiveness. Maybe you need to encounter his presence. Because when you encounter his presence, when you encounter him, you can't help but want to go and share with others and say, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see, like the Samaritan woman that met with Jesus. Oh, I go back to the town I, and I say, come meet a man who told me anything about me. He, he, he read my mail and I've been changed. Come and see. Come and see and go and tell. The invitation is for all people. It's personal and it has a purpose. But it's only, the gift is only received or the gift is only good if it's received. And this Christmas, we need to share that gift with others. Let's bow our heads today. If you're here today, maybe you 
maybe you need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you need that hope. Or maybe you, you have kind of let your light kind of go out a little bit. Just a lot of things have creeped in. But maybe today you need to receive the hope of the gospel today. You need to receive the gift that is personal to you, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come and see, to come and encounter Jesus. If you'd like to receive that invitation today, to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, I'd just like you to slip up your hand today. Is there anyone at all? I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're online and you need to receive Christ as your Savior today. I just want to invite you just to pray with me today. I'm just going to pray. And if you need Jesus, will you just pray with me today? Dear Jesus, thank you today that you came near and that your invitation for salvation is for me. Today, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you, Jesus, to, to make me new. I want, I want to know you. I believe in you. I put my faith in you. And I receive your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.